For our text this morning, we will take just two verses from our scripture reading. Matthew chapter 20, we'll look at verses 26 through 28. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto you, unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. In the New Testament, you read a lot of descriptions about the Christian. They were called saints, brethren, ambassadors, soldiers, overcomers, victors. We even know it says that one day that the saints will come back with Christ to rule and reign over the nations. These things sound appealing, no doubt, to most people. But the Lord lets us know that in order to get to any of those positions, we must first become a servant. You know, the world doesn't have a real high regard for servants. Servanthood isn't something that's probably real popular in the world. I even looked up the definition of servant. Of course, the most obvious definition is one who serves. But I looked up some synonyms for servant. Flunky, lackey, domestic, menial. Well, those don't sound very positive, do they? And the world probably looks on servanthood in that way. You know, there's plenty of people in this world who are willing to kick and claw and they're fight their way to their top. And no doubt the competition to get to the top can be very stiff at times, but you don't see too many people working their way down. Certainly not intentionally. You don't look find too many people looking to be demoted or to be lowered. Yet we know in God's economy, He says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to learn to be a servant. If you want to be like Jesus Christ, you must become a servant. You know, the highest calling, the greatest aspiration we could ever reach for is to be a servant of Jesus Christ. You see many of Christ's disciples as they would open their letters. Sometimes they would introduce themselves this way. Paul referred to himself as a servant or a prisoner of Jesus Christ. James calls himself a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter himself referred to himself many times as a servant. So we can see being a servant is important. It's important to the Lord. What kind of servant should we be? Well, in the Old Testament, you find two types of servants that are mentioned. One type of servant was a hired servant, much like an employer-employee relationship. And that particular servant could expect wages. They had agreed to a certain wage. They had certain rights. They were more like a hired employee Then you had a bondservant. A bondservant was really more of a slave. They didn't receive wages. They had no rights. They had no appeal or no recourse. Often in the 
Bible times, if a person was indebted to somebody and they couldn't pay that debt, rather than be put into a debtor's prison, they would be indentured to that person for several years and they would work off that debt. But really, they were considered property of that particular person. Well, in the New Testament, when the saints refer to themselves as servants, they refer to themselves as bond servants. They were the absolute property of their master to be treated and disposed of as he chose. Well, that doesn't sound probably very appealing to many. As a matter of fact, most people probably don't like the thought of being a servant at all. But the fact is, all of us are servants. Every single one of us, everyone here, everyone listening or viewing, we are all servants. That's just an inescapable fact. We're servants the day we're born and we'll be servants until the day we die. And the Word of God lets us know we can serve one of two masters. The Bible tells us we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity through no fault of our own, but it's still a fact. We start out serving the wrong master. Of course, we know when a person reaches the age of accountability, a child or an infant or a toddler, they have no knowledge of that. They're not accountable for that. But one day we know everybody reaches that age of accountability where they realize they have a choice to make. We don't own ourselves. We're not our own property. The only thing we truly, really possess that's all our own, that nobody can take from us, that's exclusively ours, is our right to choose. And God himself gave us that right. Even God himself will not violate our free will. So he gives us a choice as to who we will serve. But you know, when you consider what kind of master Jesus is, it really isn't a struggle at all to imagine yielding your allegiance to Jesus Christ. The word of God says he's our good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Who wouldn't want to serve a master who would be willing to give their life for their servant? That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Word of God says he's that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Tells us he's our high priest. Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Do you realize Jesus as our master subjected himself to the very same rigors of life that we face. Jesus had to work for a living. Jesus had to pay taxes. Jesus knew what it felt like to be rejected and persecuted and turned away. Jesus bore all of our sorrows and our griefs. And when he says, I know how you feel, he truly does know how we feel. That's the kind of master that Jesus is. He's our intercessor tells us that Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He's pleading our cause to the Father. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And we know the Word of God tells us that Jesus Christ became sin for us. We see an example of Christ's service here in his attitude of a servant in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It says, let this mind be in you, the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Jesus was our servant. He took on the form of a servant that we might be brought back to God. You know, the Lord, he valued us so much. He was willing to pay that ultimate price for us. Again, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it tells us that we weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ without blemish and without spot. Christ paid the ultimate price to redeem us. That word redeem or redemption, it's an interesting word. It's actually a technical term. And it refers to a price that was paid to purchase somebody's freedom. Sometimes if a prisoner were taken as a prisoner of war, a price could be paid to purchase that prisoner's freedom. And again, often as a servant or even a slave, uh, somebody could pay the price to purchase their freedom. Well, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. We were in bondage to the devil. We were indebted to Satan. But Christ came along and purchased that, our redemption for us. No other price. Nothing else could buy our freedom. But Jesus shed his own precious blood. That's the kind of servant, that's the kind of master that Jesus is. What motivates a servant? Well, there's one of three things. A servant can be motivated by fear. They could be motivated out of duty or obligation, or you can be motivated out of love. You know, I think of some that are motivated by fear. It was interesting, a relative of mine, I just found out a couple years after he retired, he'd worked at a company for many years, seemed to be very successful at that company. He retired with a good pension, but... He told me a few years ago, he said, for the last five years of his time there, he said he dreaded going to work every day. He said he thought for sure they were going to fire him. Well, this is a crazy fear. It was unfounded. But you know, to serve out of fear is a miserable way to serve. If you're trying to serve the Lord strictly out of fear, you're not going to have a very enjoyable experience. Now we know that what Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a good thing. It's talking about that respect or that reverence or that awe. It's not talking about that dread. You know, sinners are under the wrath of God. We pray they do recognize their very precarious position. And we pray that even God would convict them and they would fear the wrath of God. But you know, when we're saved, when we're set free, we're not under God's wrath. We're under His grace. We're under His victory. We're under His protection. We're under His strength and encouragement. I remember as a new convert, and this is probably something the devil tries on almost everybody. I was so thankful to be saved, but I remember starting out, I was so afraid that somehow I wouldn't even be able to keep a victory for one day. And I'd get up every day and I'd say, Lord, please, somehow, somehow just keep me saved. And I'd beg the Lord... Well, I'd go through the day and I'd come home and I realized the Lord gave me victory. And after a while, I realized 
I didn't have to beg the Lord for victory. I could thank the Lord for victory. God gives victory. He gives strength. We don't have to constantly be worrying and looking over our shoulder thinking we're somehow going to misstep. God will help us. God will give you the grace and the strength to serve Him. Some try to serve out of duty or obligation. You know, it's pretty easy to tell when somebody is doing something because they want to as opposed to somebody who's doing something because they have to. Well, if we're not careful, sometimes even our service to the Lord, as much of a privilege as it is, we don't ever want it to begin to feel like a duty or an obligation. Anything the Lord would ask us to do is a privilege. You think about God, the Creator, choosing to use us in any way to further His kingdom. That's a privilege. Do you know, again, people sometimes they can get into this Routine where it doesn't, uh, they lose that zeal or that desire, I guess, to serve the Lord. And you read in the book of Revelation as Jesus was addressing the seven churches there, he had some condemnation there for that church in Ephesus. They were a busy church, they were doing a lot of things. And he even says, uh, he commended them for the things they were doing. And To anyone looking on from the outside, it was a very prosperous church, very busy, probably had all kinds of programs and things, but he had some condemnation for them. He said, you've left left your first love. All of those efforts were in vain. So he said, repent, get back to that place where you once were. So again, we don't want to just serve the Lord out of duty or obligation. That is good. It is good to have that sense of responsibility, certainly, but we want to couple that with love for the Lord. You know, to serve out of love, that is the greatest motivator of all. Again, it tells us in 1 Corinthians, we can do all these things. We could give our bodies to be burned. We could speak with the tongues of men and angels. We could give away all of our goods. But if we don't have charity or love, it profits us nothing. So we want to serve out of love for the Lord, out of appreciation of what He's done for us. You know, in the Old Testament... A servant, they would every seven years, the children of Israel would set their servants free. And if a particular servant found that serving on that master was a good thing and they grew grew to love that master and realized that was a good master and that they were provided for and they loved that master, they could choose to remain with that master. But they had to do something to do that. It says that if they made that choice, they would put their ear against a door jam and they'd have an awl driven through their ear. It doesn't sound very pleasant. But that marked that particular individual as a servant of the particular one they chose to serve. It was a distinguishing mark and people recognized they belong to that person. Well, as Christians... We must allow the Lord to put his mark on us. If we want to be faithful servants of Jesus Christ, we should be able to, in the world, they should be able to distinguish that we're Christians. Right away, they should recognize who we belong to. The Lord will put his mark on us. It's that mark of holiness that would distinguish us as faithful servants of Jesus Christ. The Word of God says we'll be be peculiar people. That means different, distinguishable from the world. You know, this idea or this notion that 
to win the world, you must be like the world is nonsense. It's completely false. You know, if a person looks like the world, if they act like the world, if they sound like the world, if they follow the same trends that the world follows, if they have the same goals, if they have the same entertainment choices, you know, you haven't won the world. The world's won you at that point. You know, if the world doesn't recognize us as servants of Jesus Christ, Jesus isn't going to recognize us as his servants. We have nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing. We have nothing to apologize for, be embarrassed about. You know, if you're too ashamed or too embarrassed to share your testimony with others, or if you're trying to blend in and you don't want to stand out, you know, you're not a servant. You're not a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. If you're trying to go unnoticed from the world, you know, there's no such thing as an undercover Christian or a secret servant. No, we want the world to know who it is that we serve and who we love and who we're giving our lives for. Love makes that possible. When we consider again what Christ has done for us, the price that he paid for us. Take a look at another parable in the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. It says, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, When he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird myself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the thing that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye... When ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Or to consider ourselves as unprofitable servants. This parable isn't depicting the proper attitude of the master. It was just letting us know the master was behaving himself as the master. But this illustrates the proper attitude of the servant. When they did all that was commanded them, they hadn't earned or merited anything extra. You know, it wasn't that what they did wasn't valuable. It was just simply that they were doing what was required of them. And so Jesus here was saying, when you've done that which is commanded you, uh, say, I'm I'm an unprofitable servant. I just did what the Lord expected me to do. Well, that's what we're to do. We just do what the Lord expects us to do. We're not looking for any special compensation or any special reward. It tells us, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. When we consider what Christ did for us, this is just the reasonable thing that we do in return. We know that any reward or any merit we may receive is due to grace and not by merit. It's because of the Lord. So as unprofitable servants, we're just simply willing to do our jobs without any praise, without any recognition. But Jesus does tell us, he tells us in his word that God does remember his servants. He remembers our efforts, our acts of service. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which he has showed toward his name. 
the Lord sees, the Lord knows, the Lord knows the efforts that you're making to serve him. It also tells us in Matthew 6, talks about those that would do their alms before man to be seen of man. He says, if you do it to be seen of man, you, you lose your heavenly reward. If you do things to be seen of others, Jesus can't give you that reward. So you forfeit your heavenly reward if you're just doing it to be seen of others. But it says if we do it as unto the Lord, we do it in secret. It tells us, do your alms in secret, pray in secret. If you do these things, your Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You know, sometimes it takes a while to see those rewards. Sometimes the Lord gives out those rewards right away. I was thinking about a testimony I heard of a saint several years ago who lived in Newfoundland. This is about 50 years ago. <clears throat> and he was driving across central Newfoundland one day, and he saw a lady in her little road hiking. And of course, the Lord compelled him to stop and to pick those two up. He said, I couldn't leave them out there in the middle of nowhere. And so as she got in the car there, he asked her where her destination was. And she told him, and he realized it was completely the opposite direction of where he was headed. And to add to that, he only had $5 in his wallet and he was getting low on gas. Well, again, this was about 50 years ago, so $5 would have filled a tank of gas. But this was central Newfoundland. There wasn't like service stations all over the place. There were no ATM machines. There were no cell phones. So he was in a bit of a predicament, but he felt like the Lord just compelled him to take this lady and her son to their destination. So as he did that, the Lord was dealing with them. And he said, I want you to give her that $5 in your wallet. And of course, he was explaining to the Lord why that wasn't a good idea. The Lord wasn't listening. So they got to where they were going. And so he just handed that lady his last $5. Well, he was heading back to his home and praying and talking to the Lord about it. Hadn't told anybody, obviously. He thought he would stop by Southbrook to visit some of the saints there on his way home. And so as he stopped there to visit a man and his wife, he said they were out in this man's shop. And the man turned around and he handed him a $5 bill. And he didn't want to take it. But the man said, I insist that you take it. The Lord laid it on my heart to give you this. So he took it, went inside. And as he was getting ready to leave and was saying goodbye to the man's wife, she reached out to shake his hand. And she pressed another $5 bill in his hand. Of course, he didn't want to take it, but she insisted that he did. But that's an example of the Lord rewarding somebody openly. You know, that's a good return on your investment. Doubled his investment in just a few minutes time, but that's the Lord's faithfulness. God will keep his promises. The Lord will provide for his servants, but we must serve the Lord. Uh, the Lord will take care of those that are faithfully serving him. Why did God exalt Christ? Was it because he was so mighty and powerful, so strong, so wise? He was the son of God. Well, it could have been all of those things. But, you know, the word of God tells us it wasn't because of those things. It was because Christ was willing to become a servant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 through 11 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was exalted because of his humility, because he was willing to become a servant. It was his humility that allowed him to reach the throne. It's that same humility that God will bless us with if we're willing to humble ourselves, that Christ humbled himself and become a servant. The Bible says that he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. But God can help us. You know, I close with the Wonderful promise we have in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 57, verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 17. It says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful promise? No weapon, no weapon that's formed against God's servants shall prosper. No amount of godless legislation that's being passed to silence the Christian will prosper. No pressure from this cancel culture will prosper and silence the Christian if we remain faithful to the Lord. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. That's a wonderful promise from God's word. We must be willing to be faithful servants. Again, the Word of God tells us we're all servants. Every servant will receive a wage at the end of their lives. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye to whom ye obey, whether whether from sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Whoever you yield yourself to, that's who you're going to serve. Jesus divides servants into two groups. He calls those, one, good and faithful servants. The other group he refers to as wicked and slothful. Each servant will will receive a wage. That wage depends on who they serve. For the good and faithful, the Bible says the Lord will give us a crown of life, incorruptible, that fadeth not away. We'll have that hope of eternal life. We'll be with Jesus someday for all eternity. He says that they that overcome to them, they shall be saved. That's the promise. That's the wage for a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. The wicked and slothful also receive payment. It says that the wages of sin is death, eternal death. Eternal hell, damnation for the one who's rejected Jesus Christ. It says where the worm dieth not. You know, that flame is never quenched. The flesh isn't consumed. It's an awful place of torment. Anyone in hell today or anyone who will get there in the future gets there by their own choice. Sounds harsh, but it's true. But we can decide who we serve. Which master are you going to serve today? I thought about Brother Duane's testimony. 
For years, he was bound by the devil. He said he was in a lifestyle, didn't think there was any way to get out of it. Bound by drugs, substance abuse, facing jail time. His life was a mess. He said he felt desperate many times, wishing there was some way to get out of that life. One evening, found him in a church service with Brother Phil Burnett. And he said he remembered what the preacher said that day. He just asked a question. He said, whom are you serving? That's the same question today. Who are you serving? Who are you serving today? He said he realized in his heart, he said, I wasn't serving God. But you know what? He did something about it. He exercised that power of choice. Went down to the altar. He just said, Lord, do something for me. And God did something for him. The Lord saved him, delivered him, set him free, broke those chains of sin. He was serving a new master and God was helping him. God's still helping him today. He's on his way to heaven. But you have a choice. Word of God says, choose you this day who you'll serve. Moses laid it all out for the children of Israel. He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Choose life today. Choose to serve the Lord. It's in your power to do so. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, don't delay. Don't wait. Give your life to Jesus Christ. The Lord will bless you and help you. We were created to serve. The Word of God tells us, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The Lord wants to help you today. If you're not a servant of Jesus, you can be today. Maybe you've been serving the Lord for a while and you are having a hard time making any ground with the Lord. You know, search your heart. Ask the Lord, is there there something I'm holding back from you? Oh, serve the Lord with all your heart. Love Him with all your heart. The Lord will bless you today. He'll help you. May God bless you. We're going to sing 550. Let's pray.